Maybe, just maybe, we're getting a little bit closer to that magical moment when restaurants all over the country will fling open their doors and we can enjoy a little bit of what we've been missing over the past few months. But until then, settle down and enjoy another portion of this as we meet a man on a mission to continue what's been an incredible culinary journey so far. This is Source Material. Yes, welcome along to Source Material, still going strong, still bringing you insight from the best chefs around. Time to introduce our guest. It's a man whose career path is quite the journey. It roots Pune in India, Leon, Wiltshire, California, and now his own Michelin star restaurant in the Lake District. It's Rishikesh Desai. Hello. Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. What about yourself? I'm also good, Rob. I'm just uh, sitting here and never had so many days off together. I won't call it as days off, but yes, uh, sitting here and then wondering how the future will be, but making the most of uh, this time in, uh, you know, reading new recipes, books, and working on how the future for the restaurant will be. Tough times though, that's for sure. Now, a little birdie tells me that not only are you a big food fan, you're also a big cricket fan. So both restaurants and cricket could be back at the start of July. So this is what we've been, me and you both, what we've both been waiting for. Yeah, oh yes, I mean, you know, can't can't live without cricket. I've I've always said this that if I were not to be a chef, I will definitely be a cricketer. And uh, that love for cricket started due to my my father who was playing for his school and college days and he was a decent player and that's how we got introduced to cricket and of course, being born in India, cricket is huge. So, um, you know, playing it on, on, a, on a road, on a street during the nighttime with a plastic ball, flood lamps, you know, you, you, you get it. Uh, so um, when I moved to the UK, the first thing what I did, and I think people will laugh when, when they will listen to this, is I bought myself a proper cricket gear. Uh, it was a cashmere willow bat, uh, uh, the pads, uh, the gloves, and the, and the proper cricket gear. And then I went to Dorking Cricket Club in Surrey, uh, <laughs> even not knowing that um, they play for Division 1. I had no, absolutely no idea. But I, I went there and I said, yeah, I would like to join the team. Um, and then from there, uh, the cricket in the UK started. Couldn't be happier when I came to know that in July, uh, the, the season can kick off um, and then we will be able to get back into the nets and get back and, and start playing. So it's food and cricket. So what are you, batsman, bowler? I will call myself a, a decent batsman. That's all I'll say. The Lake District's Virat Kohli we've got with us on, on the pod this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, so if your dad was, was sort of the big inspiration in terms of the cricket, is it fair to say, would your mum be one of the big inspirations when it comes to the food? Absolutely. Mum was always cooking at home. For me and my brother, she was cooking quite a lot for uh, our family reunions. You know, a meal for 20 wasn't a big issue for her. She used to wake up at six o'clock in the morning and get the food done. When I used to come back from school, me and my brother, I used to w watch her working in the kitchen. And this is where I picked up a few tips uh, and the tricks about, about the food trade. You know, what is a saute? What is spicing? Uh, what is seasoning? how long you roast something. So all, all, all that was uh, it was purely due to her. So yeah, if uh, dad is influenced for cricket, mum obviously for food and uh, she used to cook a very good meal. Nowhere near to Michelin level, don't get me wrong, but the flavours were incredible 
and the seasoning was so spot on that we always ate really well at home. I think probably people who've never been to India or, or eat what they would consider to be Indian food over in this country would have one sort of conception of what it is. But is Indian food in India very different to what a lot of people might think it would be? Uh, yes, it is. Indian food in India is very different compared to what you get in here. If I'll talk about the Indian food in here now and when I came to the country, that was way back in 2003, all I'll say is that many Indian chefs who had a Michelin star at that point, uh, they were cooking on a different level and they were trying to expose the cuisine so that it is appreciated and understood by uh, uh, for, for the European palate or for the British palate. Of course, curry and the curry houses are there for a long period of time. There is a huge history for the last 50, 60 years. It has been a, a billion pound business as well uh, at one point. Uh, but what the Indian chefs were doing, the modern Indian chefs were doing, was trying to were trying to educate people that it's just not about the chili, it is just not about the heat, but there there is a lot of different flavors working together. Uh, uh, you know, obviously backed by the seasoning and and use of the best quality ingredients. So the food in here is different compared to what's in India. I think in India the food uh, is much more rustic. And there is a beauty in that rusticity, which is have always found. So um, you will never find the refinement of um, any gravy to the extent that we, we will go to do it. But because there is no refinement, the flavors and, and the textures you get for chewing a vegetable or a piece of fish or meat um, brings that dish completely together. And then uh, there's lots and lots of love that goes into preparing the dish. So, um, you know, there is more variety in India compared to what we have in here in the UK. Uh, but I'll say they, they both up here and in India are on the same similar level. On the subject of Indian food, by the way, what I saw on your social media, a naan bread pizza. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely not refined for a Michelin star chef. It was a conversation with uh, the great Paul Heathcote about naan breads and uh, I saw his photo uh, on his social media and he was asking uh, how he can get a naan bread really light and that's the key to success for naan bread or any any flat and flat bread if you if, if I have to say it that you, you it shouldn't be stodgy it shouldn't be doughy it should be really light so when you eat it it should be digested very easily by your system uh, and uh, many restaurants make this huge big mistake, making them really too big and they, do, they don't cook properly or they're not being rested, rested really well. Now, why naan bread pizza? Uh, and <laughs> it's purely because I love pizza, absolutely love them. Uh, and there is a, uh, I mean, I, I think there are very few people who will come in across who will say, oh, I don't like pizza. Um, the family loves pizza as well. And I just felt that... Um, now, in India, we had poppadums topped with several different savory items, which we call as masala poppadums, and we, we tasted them. Uh, my mom used to cook um, uh, flatbreads stuffed with some savory uh, uh, you know, spices, which we used to eat, uh, dunk it in some pickle, and then eat that. Uh, and then I just started thinking that was pizza really invented in Italy? And <laughs> I got so much... 
in trouble because of doing that non-bread visa uh, from many of my friends who are in Italy, obviously Italians, uh, and they were like, are you kidding us? Are you kidding me? This is what you're do doing. But it was more about using the non-bread recipe and then try to work it out for how many different uh, multiple uses you can. And it worked really well. Absolute dream. Absolutely dream. And the, the lightness of it helped. And I, I remember one, one thing I remember um, when I was in the Southwest, uh, one of the two-star chef, Norbert Neidelkoffler, who works in Dolomites in Italy, um, he had come to visit us and at that time he saw me doing a pizza and it was it was all over the place <laughs> my dough was in a bucket uh, it wasn't portioned properly and uh, he looked at me and he said what, what are you doing and I said I'm just making a pizza here's my pizza dough and he gave me a, a good master class of how I should portion the dough how long I should rest it and then why I should rest it and it, because due to the air you can you can flatten it with the help of your fingertips so you don't need anything else uh, and then uh, from there it, it started so the, the the way the dough is made for the pizza and for the non bread there's a huge similarity and so I just decided yeah non bread pizza work really well I think it's okay you know I, I you know I see chicken tikka pizzas now I see tandoori chicken pizzas so I think if you can combine Indian food and pizzas, you're on to a winner. I think you definitely get plenty of orders for that sort of stuff. Yeah, yeah. The more you uh, uh, test and the more you want to try, I think you, you will come across that how amazing food is and, you know, how much you can, what not you can do. And, and the flavor combinations, which haven't been worked out before, you are able to do that at home. So, yeah, non pizza. It will definitely go on Gilpin Spice menu, you will see. I look forward to seeing it there. Um, when we're talking about Indian food and we've spoken about your early influences, would it be fair to say that a massive eye-opener for you was when you started working at the Blue Diamond? When I started working or when I visited it for the first time? Which one was it? Was it the first visit? I was four and a half years old when I visited the Blue Diamond. It was the only five-star hotel in Pune. Uh, um, Mumbai is the capital of Maharashtra and Mumbai is just 162 kilometers south of Pune uh, and my family and we, we went for a wedding function but I still I, I really don't know why Rob I clearly remember uh, those glass doors big glass doors open for us I remember the staff who came and spoke with us they were absolutely immaculately dressed uh, the females were in saris the men were in suit and tie um, then we entered that big uh, lounge with, you know, those beautiful white marble, the chandeliers, the lamps, the decor. I, I clearly remember that. And the way we got escorted from the lobby all the way to where the venue was, the name of the venue was called Garden Court at that time. And the way we got escorted and, you know, the way they, they spoke with us, the, the members of staff. And I was like, this is what I want to do. This is what I, wa I want to be. Um, so that's how the love for Blue Diamond uh, or the love for hospitality started at that time. Uh, I did work in Blue Diamond. You're right, of course. Um, I was I was there doing my training and I did quite a lot of um, part time work in Blue Diamond, especially on the weekends, helping the front of the house staff, you know, lifting all the dirty cutlery, crockery, glassware, etc. Uh, so, yeah, I w worked quite a lot in there. So. Yeah, but, uh, it was it was a it was a big eye opener in in that way. But the love for hospitality started at at the Blue Diamond, and it has it is still still attracts me. The last time I visited, um, it has lost its shine the way it was um, thirty six years ago. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's that that's what made me compelled to do hospitality. 
Is it fair to say it was an eye-opener in terms of some of the ingredients you were exposed to? And also, I, th- I think when you started working there, particularly, that was when you really got into the wines, was it? Uh, y- yes. I mean, I never wanted to be a chef, first of all. I always wanted to be in the front of the house uh, as a waiter and then work my way to become a general manager of the place. Um, and at, at the Blue Diamond, the advantage was because the kitchen was so huge and it still is. And because it was classically designed as per continental section, Indian section, cheese section, patisserie, uh, it, we got exposed quite a lot as as waiters to just observe and understand different kind of cheese. I mean, we, we didn't even had an idea what is an asparagus. The first asparagus I saw was in a tin, you know, that murky dark brown in color in some liquid the first cheese we saw was uh red leicester which is what we use here for star food in here but it was <laughs> it, it was there and for us the, these were like wow this is really happening and um the best part was to get exposed to the french wines at that time uh and uh, especially if you are there and working on the 31st of december people will have champagne and all sorts of different kinds of wine but to go to the uh glass store where all the empty bo- empty bottles are thrown and then pick up the bottle and see the name of the label <laughs> and then try to find a tiny bit that's remaining to taste was our tasting sessions in India. Afterwards, we used to take those bottles back to the college. We used to fill them with water and this is how we practiced our wine service. So uh, those were the days. But the exposure that we got of, of what we were studying in the books and what we were you know, studying about cheese, wines and continental food uh, is what well, was there at Blue Diamond. So, yeah, I'll say yeah, one of those places where uh, it, it was kind of a stepping stone that this was the standard that was put into me, that this is the highest standard what you can go as five star is concerned. And all this time, you're also learning French, is that right? That is correct. My mum, for some other reason, she she had this thinking that, you know what, you should go for French classes because you want to do hospitality. Uh, And a lot of hospitality terms and terminology is based on French cuisine um, uh, or French hospitality. So she asked me to enroll myself in 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 a French class. It was a disaster, the first one. Um, It gave me a massive headache and hated the language right from the word go because there was no one to tell us what exactly we are doing even though there was a teacher Uh, but as I went to hotel management school in Pune um, we got introduced to French classes and that that training helped so these French classes were made just for hospitality students so it was more like telephoning and booking a room or booking a table or you know Guéridon service uh, or as a waiter you're taking an order so everything was happening in French so um, it, it helped me to build the confidence of learning a new language and I, you know I started loving it. it it was because it was playful there was uh, you know we were having interactions it, it was much more fun rather than learning grammar and then your head goes that big like a balloon that helped me in getting my my first break which is the winning the scholarship to go to Leo, uh, and that is purely because of a competition that was held. <laughs> and uh, for some or other reason, I, in theory, I did really good. But in um, uh, when, it, when it came to practical and speaking French, I was brilliant. So I just got selected immediately. And here I'm on a plane uh, on Russian Aero float flight, which was shaking. 
<laughs> one of those experiences. Uh, and uh, I was in France. So this was the year 1999. You're listening to Source Material, available from all major podcast providers. To get in touch, use the hashtag Source Material on social media. So it's 1999. You're in France. I'm, I'm guessing uh, it might be a generalisation, might be wrong, but, but not a lot of Indian people would go t- to France, would they, t- to sort of continue their studies or continue their learning. Uh, was it a bit of a, a culture shock? Was it difficult for you to, to settle in over there? France was the biggest culture shock I ever had in my life. It was my first international exposure. Um, I have seen many Indian sh- uh, friends whose parents or they themselves have been to the United States, Singapore, Canada, some, you know, to, to most of the European countries, but not France. And especially for the uh, for higher education, it was a no, no, because you have to you, you got to speak French, you got to write French and you have to do everything that is in French. Uh, so France was a big, big, big culture shock. But I think um uh, the determination to to be something in life and to understand that you know it's just not about what you have learned but you you what, what's the goal where do you want to go and it, for me it was purely to make my parents proud and happy that you know I'm their son and they can put their they can lift their head high and say uh, Rishikesh is our son uh, so that sort of kept me going all the time uh, and even though all the challenges that I faced in France um, I'm really happy that I went and I did my higher education in France because for my profession it was one of the best educations I've ever done. Was it quite difficult to, to settle in in terms of, of how receptive the, the French people and maybe the people that you were sort of learning alongside were? Of, of course I mean uh, you know for uh, for French to mingle with Indians was like a no-no at that time. Look, traditions, culture um, and, you know, how everybody behaves is very different. And when you go to a, to a country uh, or even for, the, for them, the people who are staying in the country, for them to receive a stranger can be sometimes different and which is what I faced big time, big time. Don't get me wrong. If you want to call it as racism, you know, I, I've got no issues with it. But a big time I face, you know, calling me names like you Indian, um, you know, why are you working this way? Or every time you go to the supermarket, you get stopped, you get checked. Then every time you are checking out after putting your food on the belt and paying for it, you get stopped, you get checked. Uh, you go to the airport to receive your friend, you get stopped, you get asked 100,000 different questions. You, uh, you get asked, where is your passport? Uh, on the bus, out of all, you will be always targeted, you know, show us your ticket. Uh, so all, all those bits and bobs were there. And, and even in school, it was quite um, ha- hard for to get in because, yeah, you know, how it, how it is possible for someone to come to, to a country from India, how it is possible for someone to speak French, how it is possible for someone who can cut, chop, dice faster. Uh, so all these bits and bobs were there. But I, th- I think that was... A, a part which I I'm happy that I have gone through it uh, you know you, you always say it makes you stronger uh, it made me stronger but it, equally it has given me a chance to uh, tell a story to someone who will be facing similar sort of problems somewhere in the world or in here or, or, or whatever it is so yeah the the culture shock was huge this part of uh, the behavior patterns was was huge uh, but I think I think I'm I'm really happy that I was able to deal with it, uh, and that is purely because my parents used to always say, "You don't worry about it. Uh, you know, you do your best." And they always gave me an example of a carpenter 
that if you become a carpenter, be of the best carpenter, build the best chair, make sure your wood is of the finest quality, make sure the screws, the nuts, the bolts that you use are of the finest quality because when someone will see it, will definitely give you the right value for it. So yeah, uh, Francis helped me uh, or sh made me who I am today. Yeah, it's It's so noble though for you to, to sit there even now and, and maybe time helps you deal with it a little bit and say well I, I dealt with it and it's something that's that's in the news at the moment and forever and a day myself as a, a white male will never be able to say I understand that process that you went through in France but there must have been times where you where you considered thinking do I want to carry on doing this and if this is the way I'm, I'm treated and I guess also you're a long, long way from home and sometimes it might be quite difficult to speak to anyone about about how you're feeling and, and what's going on over there. That is true. I mean, that that feeling of why I am picked upon all the time and why I am under scrutiny or under a watchful eye every time, even I'm walking or doing something in the kitchen, uh, it's, it's always there. And th this was this was from the French. The school was 40 different nationalities. There were Canadians, Israelis, there were people from Morocco, Tunisia, etc., etc. But if, this was much more from, 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 the, from the French. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Uh, the school may not be happy if, if they listen to this, but I think I, it is important for them to know as well. To get penalized because I wrote my um, training report in French and to get penalized because I did not conjugate the verbs proper, properly or I did not, uh, you know, conjugate the nouns with masculine and feminine. And that's the reason why your marks been deducted. I think that is that is absolute crap. Yeah. What's the objective in here? The objective is that I went to Chateau de Banyols for my training. I've come back from there. I've matured. I've learned new techniques. I've learned new skills and that I've put in the report. And you are penalizing me because I haven't conjugated the verbs. Come on. So um, why? Uh, yeah, I had those feelings that, you know, why me? Whether it's worth it, what should I do? Should I talk with someone? Um, but there is something in there, Rob, in my head. I don't know. I don't know how other others deal with it. But for me, um, it never was an issue. You know, it was never an issue of being marked down or no for me it was more about the education my skills and what I'm learning and how the future will be and I think that sort of helped me to keep carrying on and moving forward yeah that's 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 all I'll say and I guess when you get to the point you're at now and where you become a head chef of your own place and within 18 months you've got a Michelin star and, and the Rue scholarship and all the other awards that we'll we'll talk about later that that is you know a sort of giant two fingers up to everyone who, who who felt the need to sort of treat you in an in an acceptable way that you've gritted your teeth you've got through that and and here you are at the other side of it gone on to become a massive success yeah well you nailed it robert you know um in cricket it's always said if you're a batsman let your batting do the talking <laughs> <laughs> if you're a bowler you know go and get a fiver if a test match go and get a tenner uh, it's exactly the same way um, and uh, my parents always said to me you know you don't worry of what people are saying to you and um, the mo important bit is you do what is right and you are the ones who will be going forward the amount of energy that is wasted in you know having these squabbles and having these quarrels and then talking back to each other I think it's not worth it 
of course, you have to stand your ground, no doubt about it. But there also comes a time where you really don't want to spend your time in actually standing your ground. And uh, coming back now and seeing what I had to face and what I've done, um, you know, there were there were times as well when <laughs> I was told by one of my teachers in India, don't go to France, you will... Um, you will not you will not learn anything all you will get is a foreign written stamp on your passport and because of that you will get a beautiful wife so that was the first one in france i was told i'll do nothing but shit in life by my teachers especially my pastry chefs uh, because i couldn't grasp the the pastry skills so so quickly there was there was a problem in there does it matter now <laughs> If, am I the right? Am I in the position to say, yeah, you know, show two fingers or whatever you want to call it? But it didn't, you know, they know what I've done. Uh, nobody's going to take, even if I lose the star tomorrow, still I'll be able to say that I was a Michelin star chef for a certain period of time. Nobody's going to take the title of chef of the year from me. Nobody's going to take the Rue scholarship away, uh, the appearances on the Great British Menu, etc. All that's been done in the past. So I think I think that's what every, uh, if if I have to give the advice to someone, you know. The, these things that will happen to you in the initial stages of your career, they do matter a lot. That is correct. If you have the ability to deal with it, deal with it as much as possible. But in the long run, you will be always the winner. Good man. Wise words. And, it, you know, shocking that it happened then. Equally as shocking that it's still happening in, in ways in 2020. Um, but let's let's talk about the cooking because... If we go all the way back to, to that initial trip to Leon, you're going over there to, to be a, a front of house staff. So what was it that switched you from, from wanting to be front of house to going and standing behind the pass and getting very hot and getting very sweaty and trying to master pastry? Oh, what, what changed me is the humble creme brulee that made... Just the creme brulee. Creme brulee. You can blame the creme brulee for it. Uh, I've been blaming creme brulee for the last 18 years. <laughs> Got a lot to answer for. Uh, uh, a creme brulee, yes. Um, I I went there with a view that I will be doing, if if I decide to go to France and do my higher higher education, then I'll be doing a degree in restaurant management, hospitality and restaurant management. But uh, when I saw a creme brulee being blowtorch, so caramel, you you put the sugar and you turn the blowtorch and caramelize the sugar, I was like, Jesus, this is amazing. I've never seen something <laughs> like this before because we did creme brulees when we were in India and we were putting it under a salamander or, you know, use a pan and caramelize the sugar and then pour it on the top until it sets. So this was, this was brilliant. And um, that sort of changed the whole world for me absolutely change it immediately and uh, you know i i even asked the teacher that is it is it too late for me to change uh, the course that i've applied for and um, yeah she said no if you want to change to cuisine please go for it uh, which came with a different set of problems because all these years it was all about front of the house and service so cooking was no no and then all of a sudden you have to start chopping dicing slicing and you know flavors and seasoning they all come into play so uh, uh, creme brulee was the was a big game changer. So creme brulee is the beacon. But w when you did switch to cooking, did you find find that you picked it up quite quickly? Um, initially, no. First, um, first year was a disaster. I'll be very honest, uh, because purely you were you're not in cooking. I'll give you an example. Um, in my second practical, we were asked to do a salad. <laughs> uh, 
every single student was coming up with Thousand Island dressing and garlic mayonnaise, uh, you know, all sorts of really beautiful stuff. And here I am with iceberg lettuce, really nicely chopped, a bit of chili powder and lemon juice. And that's it. That was my salad. And uh, I was told that um, I got two, two marks out of 10, which is a fail. <laughs> I would have thought so. Yeah, that doesn't surprise <laughs> me that two out of 10 yeah, is a and fail. I, I, the, I was told that, you know, um, you really seriously need to start thinking more about really whether you want to do this or not. Uh, then came the part of cooking chickens, which, you know, I messed up completely. Um, and uh, all this continued until the first semester. And when I went for my training to Chateau Banyols in Bergerle, which is a Michelin star, was a Michelin star still there. That changed me much more and made me calmer as far as food is concerned, because by that time, I you know, I, I wasn't stupid, so I, I was picking up things, but I didn't have the ability to sort of put them back or show what I can do. But at Chateau Banyols, all the all the knowledge that I picked up from the school was coming into play. And uh, there, you know, here is the chef who calls uh, Anstrud Polbukis and says, yeah, one of the brightest students we have we ever had in here. So I was like, wow, how, how is that possible? Uh, so, yeah, the first six months was quite, quite tough, really, really tough. And it made me question as well. Do I really want to be a chef? Uh, but yeah, stuck to it, and I'm so glad that I stuck stuck with it. Yeah, well, absolutely. So let's let's carry on the journey then, and, and you know, from ten years on, from just heading across to to France for the first time, you become a the Rouge Scholarship winner in in two thousand and nine. Just explain to, to people who might not know just exactly what that is, and I guess also how prestigious a, a sort of award that is as well. The Rouge Scholarship in two thousand nine was. Um, Purely, uh, I, I I will say, by that time I had I had enough of cooking, and I, by that time I had decided to change my career, and I had applied for Sainsbury's graduate scheme. Can you believe that? Wow! <laughs> um, uh, and I, I did my application and went to uh, and at the same time I applied for the Rue scholarship, and I went to Australia to see my to meet my brother. I still was under the visa conditions uh, where, where, where still tough for me. So I, I, there was not enough freedom so I can move and do what I need to do. So I decided to, to, to change the career and I thought of doing Sainsbury's graduate scheme. Uh, obviously, I'm so glad I didn't do that. I applied for the Rue Scholarship. I came, came back and I, I got a call that I'm in the semifinals of the Rue Scholarship. It was like brilliant. No problem at all. Uh, did all my stuff. Um, and again, believe it or not, uh, a, a vanilla panna cotta sort of made me, was my ticket to go to the finals because it was one of the best pudding during the day. Um, I, my lamb was perfectly cooked. And here I am now in the finals in 2009, um, meeting the Rue family about whom I was learning when I was in India. It was amazing. So here I am. And... Uh, I had to do brill, cook the whole brill on the bone. The name of the dish was brill sheruba. It is still in, um, it's, it's in the Larousse gastronomic, very classic uh, cooking, way of cooking. Uh, and uh, got the dish done without even thinking that I'll ever, ever win it. But my head chef, Havel Jones, the Welshman, uh, with whom I'm still in contact, he's my mentor, my father figure. He said to me before the finals, and his words were that, if I win the finals, he will be screwed because I will have to go for a stage in a three-star, three-missionary place 
star place for three months. And I said to him, chef, it's never going to happen. And he, sa he said to me, it will definitely happen. So he was very confident that I'll get it. And uh, when I won the scholarship, God, that, that just changed the whole world. That just changed. It was the biggest compliment ever I got in my life. Um, uh, the late Michel Roux Sr. I'm so sad that he's passed away. Um, he, it, it, it were his word that uh, one of the best candidates they've ever seen during their, you know, the competition. And that is, that's saying something, isn't it? Given when you look back at the previous winners, that's, that's going some to get an acknowledgement like that. That was a big, biggest, biggest compliment, biggest compliments. And I, I tell you, when my name was announced that I've won the Rue Scholarship, for about five to 10 seconds, I couldn't see anything in front of me. All I knew that people are clapping, but there was a total blackout. And that is because it was such a great feeling that you can do something and you you can you can win a big competition where the prize is forget the prize money but the prize to you where you can go and train in a three Michelin star place uh, that was the biggest biggest chance and you know to be a part of the Rue family uh, so you can call anyone anytime and get advice it was it was absolutely brilliant I'll never forget it never ever forget it great day. And that three-star training came with Thomas Keller at the French Laundry, which is, again, I mean, to be learning from guys like Michel Roussinia from Thomas Keller, I mean, you must be just soaking it in like a sponge, aren't you? Correct. And um, um, I shouldn't be going to Thomas Keller because the rules for the uh, Rue scholarship were that a three-star place anywhere in Europe. But when I was at Stuart Paul Bocuse, one of my friends from Chicago, he got the French Laundry cookbook. Uh, this was in the year 2001. I read the cookbook and I said to myself, either one day I should go and do a stage there at, at the French Laundry or I should be able to dine there. And you fast forward that 10 years and then it, it was all coming true. So when I was asked the question, where would you like to go? I said to the French Laundry without even thinking that it's, it's not in Europe, it's in the United States. But the next day I get a telephone call from uh, Michel Roussignet and he says that, yeah, you're going to the French Laundry. Couldn't be happier. <laughs> Couldn't be happier. Uh, what a place it is. Incredible place. And I, my dream came true. I got a chance to do my, my a stage for three months there and eat with Michel Roux. And, and from this journey that you've been on, from, from someone who's, who's grown up in India, then you've done a, a lot of your training, your formative work in France. You've come to England for a bit. You've done a little bit in the States. I mean, that's a, a very interesting melting pot in terms of, of the um, the exposure that you've had to various different flavours and, and how various types of food work together, I guess. That is correct. Um, and which I always say to any, any young chef, you know, um, the more experience you get from different chefs uh, by working with them for a couple of years, uh, the better chef you will be. And any opportunities that will come to you where you will have to go, if, if you have to go abroad, uh, you know, take that opportunity because you don't know what you will come across. And I always tell them, I have a recipe to do a chicken stock, but I know Thomas Keller's recipe is very different than the way I do it. Um, you know, and then you will come across somebody else who will be doing a chicken stock in a different way. The more recipes you know for one product, um, you are you can choose the best that is working for you in the environment you are, and you you come up with some really uh, you know better tasting food. So this is what I say, and like, like you like you've said, you know it's it's correct. First time when I went to France, I even went to Switzerland for uh, seven days. 
I went to different cookery schools in Switzerland uh, just to see what, what's, what's there, what, what is not there. I went to Belgium, um, learned a little bit. I've been to Italy. Um, you know, I've, I've been to uh, Thailand, I've been to China, uh, Malaysia, so all sorts of different places, of, co of course. And then you, do, you pick up the best of the best things and you want to use them. So the more you get, do that, uh, the better the chef you will be as far as the culinary world, world is concerned. And when it comes to having your own place now, then, is, is that something you very much see as part of the menu, that a lot of the dishes are little bits from everywhere you've been and you combine them together as best you can? That is correct. Um, many people call it as a fusion cuisine. It's not fusion. It's more about sticking to the rules of gastronomy, um, modern British cuisine, and then just use those hints of what you want to create. Um Firstly, it's all about the memories. So as a, as a child, um, I was very lucky. Father was, my, my father was well-to-do, so we, uh, we toured quite a lot in India during uh, Diwali and summer vacations. So whatever food I was eating in a different state, the memory is still there. And I, that sort of memory that I want to create when I'm doing a new dish. Um, uh, and also with the knowledge that you get while moving. I mean, China was a big eye-opener again. You know, Chinese food, you know, there are Chinatowns everywhere in the world. But when you are in China and when you see everything, um, um, it's, it's, a, it's a different story. The food is very, very different compared to what we get in here. Um, and, uh, you know, we, uh, we have done exclusive Chinese tasting menus, but with a spin that we have put onto sauces like Kung Pao or the sweet and sour, and then using the best Cumbrian products uh, and then creating our own dishes. And it has worked out an absolute dream. We were in Kerala. I was in Kerala uh, about two, two years ago. Um, and then, uh, you know, learning with the, the chefs from different Raleigh and Chateaus and then doing uh, a tasting menu has worked out uh, brilliantly. Just recently, 2020, before the lockdown came, I was in Mumbai and we had a big tour of street food of Mumbai. And I, I kid you not, the amount of food that I've eaten in some places which were really dodgy. There, there was a flood in the in the restaurant and they were still cooking up a, uh, cooking up a meal. Uh, and then I, I, I ate in some amazing five-star hotels now in, in Mumbai and picked uh, so many different ideas that I'm hoping to have that menu on um, in the months of September, October, so as, as we go into the winter season. So, uh, you know, whatever you do, wherever you go, you pick up a lot. And one thing's for sure, and again, any youngsters who will listen to this, observation is so important and I think it goes for anything if you're playing cricket when you observe a certain person move who has got a mastery on on the craft or on the on the skill you learn quite a lot so the more you ob observe keep that somewhere in your head write it down and then you will see you'll become an amazing person so let's talk about the Gilpin then and, and we've we've touched on some of the great achievements you've had in your career, Rue Scholar, Chef of the Year, but to get yourself a, a Michelin star within 18 months of, of going somewhere, how big an achievement was that? It's a dream come true, isn't it, uh, for any chef to get a Michelin star. Um, uh, to get it in 18 months, it's um, uh, incredible. Still, I become emotional whenever I, come, whenever I think about that moment. Um, and uh, the idea... When, when I started at the Gilpin in 2015, March 2015, um, by the time we had our first inspection, it was too late. I knew that. 
you won't we won't be even be considered for a mission star in in that year but to work hard and then sort of get it the next year was was the biggest thing to come uh because at that time i was trying to steady a ship where you have chefs come in chefs go out some want to stick some want to listen some didn't want to uh and you're you're trying to understand a new business you're still getting your feet uh you're 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 understanding uh how the Cumbrians react uh, because the portion sizes are different. There's a lot of lot of things that are going on that were going on, um, and uh, by the time I got settled after after the after six months, I think uh, it was more more about cooking food to the best we can. I wasn't taking any risks at that time. I'll be very honest with you. I was still cooking proper British country house food, and that is purely because. Uh, in since 2011 I must have done eight or nine different interviews to get a job uh, and I had so uh, and every time I went for a job I had rejections is because every time I said spice they were more like country house hotel no ain't gonna work uh, so um, <laughs> at, at Gilpin was also exactly the same but then I had a very good conversation with chef Ken Holm everybody knows him he's written so many different mm-hmm. books and uh, those 15 minutes of my life were brilliant with him. Uh, and he said that, you know, you do what you think is right. Don't be scared. If things are not right, your guest will definitely tell you whether things are right or wrong. And this is how I started slowly introducing those spices, slowly introducing those tiny twists and spins. Uh, and I think maybe that's the reason why we got the start, because we were so different. We were very different. You know, I could have gone through... Um, you know, uh, similar patterns of tasting menus and pottery and all that stuff like that. But I think it was really important to stick to what you feel is right. Um, and when we when we got the call, um, <laughs> I was cleaning dry stores. One of my chefs came and said to me, uh, "Chef, there is someone called Rebecca on the phone." And I said, "Look, uh, just say to them, say to her, look, I don't want any more chefs. I thought it's a recruitment agency." Uh, so he went back and he said that chef is busy and uh, sh- she insisted that she wanted to speak with me. So uh, I call, I-, I picked up the phone and uh, to go to the kitchen that you got five steps from the dry stores and I wasn't the first step. And uh, when I said, hello, Rishikesh speaking, how can I help? And she said, you know, I said, it's Rebecca Burr, the director of Michelin Guide UK speaking. And I just couldn't move from that step. I was just standing. So I, yeah, I, I still know that <laughs> moment. And then I locked myself in the in the chef's office um, and then uh, everything was spoken that, you know, you've been invited for the first launch of Michelin Guide UK. Uh, if you say yes, we, you will get an email, but please keep this under the wraps, etc., etc. And I couldn't, could not contain my, um, you know, uh, that, that emotion, that joy. So I had to go and tell my managing director and the owner, Barney Cunliffe, and I had to tell him that, uh, Rebecca Burgess called and she's asked and invited us to come to the event um, and I, I, I just couldn't control myself so um, luckily that day we had only 24 booked so I just said to my head chef look uh, there is a, some problem at home and I'm going I just couldn't keep it under the wraps um, and still still um, I was thinking that you know maybe we are invited just to fill in the seats <laughs> <laughs> It's a very long journey just to fill in the seats from the Lake District to uh, to the Michelin Guard. Yeah, party. eventually the the time came, the name was called, and oh my god, yeah, it was amazing, amazing. Some of the best um, 
I will never ever forget the Rue family was sitting right in front on the front row with some of the Rue scholars, Sad Baines. Uh, yeah, Simon Rogan was also there at that time, who is not far away, just 25 minutes. And they all came and started congratulating Michel Rue was all over the moon. He was like one of my scholars. You got the star. And he was hugging me, kissing me. And, you know, it's still there on the on, on, on our website. And uh, yeah, uh, I, I will never forget that. Never, ever. And, uh, you know, people always ask me this question to be a chef. What's all about uh, and what do you do? Why, why do you do? I think. We do it for, for the, these moments. It's not the moments of glory, no. Yes, of course, there are moments of achievement. That, that is correct. But I think it's much more about how we want to keep on going and moving forward. And this is what once once in a lifetime you get that fruit of labor. And it's one of the biggest fruits. Yeah. And interesting as well that you should talk about sort of, you know, letting your emotions go there. And that was, that was something that I saw on, on the Great British Venue this year, particularly I think when you got some great feedback for your lamb dish, which... I think it's an homage to Beatrix Potter. It was quite unbelievable. It was one of the most amazing culinary things I think I've ever seen. But it's great in 2020 to be able to see a Michelin star chef feel comfortable with letting their emotions out in, in that sort of way and getting quite tearful because kitchens aren't always associated with that sort of thing, well, we, are they? We are human beings uh, and uh, we, we go through the same emotions what every single human goes through, whether you are, a, you are a male or a female uh, you know, we also feel we 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 are not invincible. Definitely not. Um, so, um, why the emotions? Uh, first of all, there are two two things. Uh, one is before the start of the Great British Menu, when I went there for the recording. So when I was driving to the studio, um, I I learned that my cousin, my dearest cousin, who is in New York. Um, she was on her deathbed due to cancer. Now, this is the, the girl with whom literally a month ago, I, I had a conversation about butter uh, because she's, she loved butter. And she went to Geranium restaurant in Copenhagen, three stars. Uh, Kofoid Rasmus is an incredible chef. Uh, he has won Bocuse d'Or competition, which is like a World Culinary Olympics. He's got the bronze, the silver and the gold statue. And no one's done that, I think so. Uh, and uh, she got a chance to tour the kitchen and take the photos. And then we had this conversation about uh, butter and she was telling me how they do butter, etc., etc. Um, and uh, at that time, her breast cancer, she was given all clear and everything. And here I am driving afterwards and I come to know that, uh, no, the cancer has gone into her brain and she may not survive the journey. So obviously thinking about all this uh, while filming for the Great British Menu. Uh, and on Thursday, when we did the main course, which was uh, the plan, um, I learned that uh, all her uh, medicines and everything has been stopped. All the life support has been taken off because there is no hope. Um, so I, th I, th I think uh, there were two, uh, two things happening at the, at the same time. The first emotion was I could do uh, the dish or, 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 or that main course uh, the way I really wanted it to be with all, all, all that big mirror and, and that beautiful shiny steel and all the characters from Beatrix Potter, Peter Rabbit. And it, it came out exactly the way I wanted and the flavors, the textures, the gravy, etc, etc. So that was the biggest achievement that I can I can do something like this. So which was big. Uh, and, um, you know, it, it, it was more like it was out of my comfort zone. It was a new type of skill. So which and also making changes at the last minute on the day. 
I was able to get it within one hour, 45 minutes, that whole thing. So that, that's why the first emotion. And the second emotion was obviously knowing that uh, your cousin will not be surviving the journey. And it happened on the Friday when before the finals, you know, I shake hands with Tom and um, uh, I get a, my, my telephone buzzes in and I shouldn't have I should not be checking the telephone, but I did check and I, uh, I came to know that she's passed away. So uh, again, I was playing with two different emotions that I need to make sure that I win. But at the same time, there was a moment of grief because my flight was booked to go to New York um, uh, and, you know, all sorts of things happening. So why did I cry um, or why did they, I let out, out my emotions is purely for these two reasons. Um, yeah, I definitely it's definitely not a bad thing at all. It was it was more sort of a uh, yeah, a compliment to, to, for showing it, because I think it's uh, it's OK. We all like to see it every once in a while. Um, I know you've got kids running around all over the place at the moment. So we've only got a few more questions. So we're just going to squeeze them in before we go. The Burning Issues. Well, these are our little weekly features and these are what we ask all of our chefs just at the end of, of each podcast. So we will rattle through these. We're going to start with your ultimate three-course meal. Start to remain in the dessert of your choice. What are you going for? Um, right. So as far as the starter is concerned, oh, you asked me the biggest and the, I think this is the <laughs> toughest question ever you've asked me. Uh, starter main course. So for the starter, I'm definitely going with my chef mentor, Havel Jones's uh, langoustine and potato mousse with truffle dish. Uh, incredible dish with the gribiche sauce. Um, very simple, very tiny. But once you eat it, it's, it's quite full. Uh, for the main course, um, I'm definitely going to go for Thomas Keller's very classic Calote the Beef which is the top side of the, uh, of the sirloin. Uh, and that is cooked in, uh, cooked slowly in loads and loads of butter, but it's beautifully pink. And then it's served with uh, the, the sweetest carrots you will ever pick from the French Laundry Garden, which I work there. Uh, uh, and uh, the sweet, sweetest radishes, which will, again, you will ever pick. Uh, and the salad that will go with it. Amazing dish, incredibly amazing. Uh, and as far as the pudding is concerned, it, it's got to be, um, if anybody gets that, gets a chance to taste it, they should. Uh, this will be three star chef and I don't know his name, but the pudding is Baba Oram. Uh, and why don't I have the name of the chef? Oh man. Uh, in Dorchester, the only three star chef. Oh, come on. Alan Ducas. Yes. Thank you very there much. Uh, what a what a pudding that is, and it comes with its all glory in front of you. They will carve it. They will put that beautiful Chantilly cream, and then you eat that big lump, fully soaked with uh, rum and sweet sugar. Oh my god! Yeah, that's my ultimate meal. I'm with you on that one because I've been there and I've had that dessert at the Dorchester. So I'll, I'll wholeheartedly endorse that. But that is that's a decadent three course meal. That longestine beef, Alan de Cast dessert as well. Um, next question then is your dream chef's table. You're going to upset someone here because you're only allowed one chef. You've got four spaces in all, but only one chef. So possibly one of your mentors is going to end up disappointed. It will be late Michel Rossinier if I get a chance to dine with him again. What a man he was when I dined at the French Laundry. And I'll tell you something, nobody knows this thing, but I think it, it's better be shared. Um, French Laundry never serves spirits. They always serve beers only and wines. And on the day when we had 
dinner at the French Laundry. Michel Roux was like, so he said, he looked at me, he used, to, he, he used to call me Richie and he said to me, Richie, how about a cognac? And I was like, why not? So <laughs> he asked uh, uh, our, our waiter about the cognacs. Um, the, the guy said, I, I, I'll see what I can do. He went in, he spoke with Chef Thomas Keller. Uh, and then the, he, uh, the waiter, he comes up with a huge piece of white cloth, something hiding underneath it. And we had no idea what's going on. And then um, he opens that cloth and he says that we have never, ever served spirits at the French Laundry, but because it's you, we are going to do it. And it was one of the finest brandy we ever had. So, <laughs> um, uh, and uh, eating with Michel Roux was uh, incredible because for his age at that time, he we had 10 courses and it was an absolute fun. I still have the menu card, which has been signed by me, him and others who were there on the table. Um, and it was an absolute fun because he can drink, he used to eat and drink and have, have the best best time. So yeah, it will be him. So he's the one chef, but you've got three other spaces on your table, but they can't be chefs. Alive or dead, anyone you want. But it's you, Michelle Roussinia and three others. Who are you going for? Definitely Sachin Tendulkar. I knew you were going to say Sachin Tendulkar. I, definitely. hundred and well, uh, Even now, if he, see, if he listens to this and he, you know, if he decides to come here, I, I, I'll do anything to cook a meal for him. Had a very rare glimpse of him at, at Hotel Blue Diamond when he was in the pool. It was an wow. incredible moment, so yeah, that's him. I watched him play once, Rishikesh, at Edgbaston. He was playing in a one-day game against Sri Lanka, and he came out to bat, and honestly, it's the loudest I've ever heard a cricket ground at any point in my life. He made about 20, and when he got out, the place emptied like you wouldn't believe. Like the, the game was still very much in the balance, but for about 80 to 85% of the people in the ground, as far as they were concerned... Once Sashin was out, it was game over. So that was 2007, it. I saw him and he got out on 99 at Bristol. Can you Oh, can you believe that? God, I bet you'd be able to hear a pin drop that day as well. Okay, so th- this is a very A-class chef's table, by the way. So far, we've got Michelle Roux Sr. and Sashin Tendulkar. Who are the uh, other two? Third person, um, this is completely out of the blue, but it, it's got to be Barack Obama, purely because of the... I'm sure he must have faced a lot in his life, what I faced. And um, he, he's done uh, um, something in the United States. And the brain and the, his thinking was so much for, for the people of the United States, which many couldn't see. And that is the biggest problem with human nature because it's all about the egos and, and it's all about how we are right and how a person is wrong. But no one will ever say what you have done right. Uh, and uh, I think I think Barack Obama. It's not, um, it's not sympathy or anything, but in a, an incredible person um, as as he's as a politician. I, I think very fair, and um, you know he he stood for it, and certain things that he did um, uh, was amazing. So yeah, def- definitely him on 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 the table, and the fourth person it will be, obviously, if it's possible, um, again a sportsman. Uh, and that will <laughs> that will be Diego Maradona. <laughs> oh wow! You just ruined it. You've just everyone has just turned off in swathes in this podcast. Why okay. Maradona? Why? Uh, uh, what a player <laughs> when it came to football. 
Not sure how much enthusiasm you're going to get from an Englishman on this point, but no, if you talk if you talk to any other footballer, they they love Maradona as well, so that's probably acceptable. Somebody answer. will say, "Why not Pele? Why not somebody else?" Uh, I mean, I don't even I'm not a big fan of football at all. You know, sometimes I have to ask why they're doing this and why they're doing that. Uh, but why Maradona? Because uh, purely because his fame in India was big. Um, and and every time we saw him on TV on our black and white televisions, we, we couldn't see those Argentinians black, blue and white, blue and white uh, checks. But um, it, <laughs> uh, what a player, what a player, what a speed, uh, what sort of mastery on those two feet. You know, he's not tall at all. Um, and the way he ran from one end to another end, as if like the ball was sticking to his feet for some or other reason. And the, the, the way that he did things... Um, Winning the World Cup, so yeah, yeah, that's those are the four. There we go, job done. Sachin, Maradona, Michelle Rue, Senior, and Barack Obama. Good table, right? Two to go. Kitchen nightmares. Any any bad moments in a kitchen? We may well have covered this in that first ever salad that um, you made. That was as a student. <laughs> that's one of the nightmares. A kitchen nightmare. Any bad moment in the kitchen? No, I'll I'll say um, running out of potato mash was the biggest nightmare for me. During a busy service time. Okay, that's not too bad. Final, final one then is your golden nugget, your piece of advice for home I'll cooks. Say don't be scared. Just go for it because it starts from there. Um, if you if you think if you see a recipe which has got twenty different steps, and you say to yourself that, and I know even before attempting that this is going to be tough. Well, I think you've lost the plot there completely. Um, yeah. Don't be scared. Sometimes, uh, you know, you will you will be surprised how much you can achieve, um, and how much you how far you will go just by taking that tiny step. So don't be scared. Yeah, fantastic. Great place to finish. Time has absolutely flown by. It's been a real pleasure having you on. So thank, thank you, you so much. much. Thank you very much. I will end by saying this: Thank God you never went to Sainsbury's. <laughs> <laughs> Great to have you on, guest. We are back with another episode next week. Bye for now.